Hello, my name is Julie Smithson, and I am your XR for Learning podcast host. Join us today with our next guest, Victoria Yampalski. Victoria is the founder and president of The Startup Station, an educational and consulting company committed to help founders be successful and get funded faster. She focuses on the creative, credible financials and valuations for early stage ventures. Specifically, she's helped entrepreneurs master the necessary finance skills so that they correctly translate their business plan into a financial plan, evaluate the financial feasibility of different initiatives, and credibly present their companies to investors and use their financial model to drive the business forward. Thanks so much for joining me, Victoria. Thank you very much for inviting me, Julie. It's a pleasure to be here. Our topic today is going to be a little bit different. We're going to talk about budgeting and finances and starting up a business and being able to budget for innovation, which is something that not many people understand what the implications of technologies and the advancements of impact they have on businesses. So maybe you can tell me a little bit more about your company and the approach that you started to take and the demand and need for your services. So I started my company in 2013 after I was an entrepreneur myself. And then I began uh, advising at the company and I saw a huge need for business and financial expertise in the startup world. My first venture was in the media and entertainment, and uh, it was pretty clear that uh, a lot of filmmakers were extremely passionate about the projects that they were making, and they put very little thought into thinking how they're going to monetize it, how they're going to bring their projects to market. And when I began advising my first non-media and entertainment company, I realized that the same problem persisted in a startup community as well. There were a lot of brilliant entrepreneurs who wanted to propel innovation, who wanted to change the world, who wanted to disrupt industries that were not working efficiently, who wanted to solve problems that were not being solved or solved not in the best way. And they were coming up with solutions, but they did not yet think through how to make those solutions into businesses, how to bring those solutions to market, how to uh, reach mass adoption. And so that brought me to starting the Startup Station where I help entrepreneurs think through those roadmaps, make sure that the plans that they put together are financially feasible, help to put together those baselines which help them to evaluate if their strategy is working, if their plans for bringing the product to market are efficient and react faster to market feedback to conserve capital and to also be successful. Are you working with any startup companies that are dealing with XR technologies like virtual reality or augmented reality or artificial intelligence right now? So none of those technologies are uh, one of my clients right now, but um, I have taught over a thousand founders because in addition to consulting one-on-one, I also teach entrepreneurs and I teach them how to evaluate those business plans and put together those financials on their own. And um, out of those students, I did uh, teach a few um, XR companies. So I think that in the introduction of all of these technologies into a business where one day we have brand new hardware 
release or a software update and massive changes in the company need to take place. What is your first piece of advice that you give to these companies to prepare for these massive changes and and unexpected changes, which equals innovation? Right. So um, I think on the technology integration side, um, I think you need to have if you're going to adopt a new technology, such as XRVR, which comes with a lot of uncertainty, which comes with a lot of changes, you need to have great technical people on a team who not only understand the implications of the um, any changes that may happen in those technologies, but also understand the implications of what those changes mean for your organization. And so I would suggest, just like in financial modeling, where we do low, medium, and high case scenarios, that those technical people, when they begin adopting technologies, they think through scenarios of what may happen if some changes are affected, whether it's going to be changed to the platform, whether it's going to be changed to hardware, where it's going to be the change to software, what kind of change it's going to be and how the organization should react and what is going to be the financial cost and what's going to be the labor cost and what's going to be the time cost, right? And so if you go through this preparatory work, Uh, as you're adopting those technologies, or even before, then you're a lot more prepared for whatever changes may come your way. Yeah, I think think it's obviously very important to have the right team when you've got your startup and and a team that understands the implications of the future. And uh, obviously having a futurist who can forecast the technologies that are are coming in and and are being adopted. And I've read a few things with regards to what technologies are coming in. There's a futurist by the name of Matthew Griffin, and he created a technology wheel that shows over 440 different technologies before 2070, which is obviously very far out, but the number of of technologies in that mass in, in that grade of mass, it's overwhelming to, to be prepared for all of these things and how they're going to be implemented into the business and uh, be prepared for how it will impact the business. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about the strategy itself and how to prepare even right down to the statement of work and, and the financial forecasting. I know, I know in some of our projects, we have a contingency plan buffer built into our finances now maybe that's something else that you can kind of speak to on on what kind of uh, advice do you provide with that strategy to protect yourself to adopt and and uh, take on these different technologies sure so um, let's begin with um, assessing new technologies so as I was thinking about uh, this um, uh, podcast, um, I thought that it's a really good idea, and I think a lot of companies are doing it already, is to create kind of a think tank inside your company that is going to monitor all the emerging technologies and performing that futuristic work. Now, they don't need to necessarily come up with all the 448 technologies. And there are people like you mentioned, Matthew Griffin, who um, is doing that. But it is extremely important to stay on top of what's going on. Okay. And then do the following work 
you know, in terms of assessing what that means for your organization. And that work is to A, figure out what is the minimum commercial viability of any new technology that technology needs to achieve in order to be appropriate for your organization. And then try to put some sort of a timeline on where that may happen. Now, that part is incredibly difficult because of the speed with which technology innovation happens. And so whatever timeline they may come up with, it needs to be revised aggressively as new information becomes available or even halved as soon as um, they come up with any timeline. And then they need to consider, um, once they determine the uh, minimum commercial viability of new technology, then they need to think, well, is this even a good technology for us? What problem will it solve? And this is very similar to anything that a new startup, when they're coming up with a new idea, the question that they need to answer, right? What problem am I solving? Why am I creating this new technology? For any organization that is going to adopt a new technology, right? What problem will this technology solve? What uh, is a gap in the market that is not currently addressed? Or what can I do better? Because a lot of these technologies actually have an impact on the bottom line rather than the top line. And so once they figure out that question and they sort of uh, begin to understand the impact, they then move on to understanding how much it's going to cost them to implement those technologies. And there they have three options. Right? They have the option to develop that technology themselves using whatever information is available at the moment. They have the option to start an accelerator, right? which is a lot of organizations are doing and propel innovation by inviting companies who are already working on those technologies into that accelerator and then investing into most promising candidates. They have the option to license the technology from somebody who has developed it up to the minimum viability level they determined or acquire a company, right? So these are the four options that any organization has and how will they choose which option is the most uh, viable for them? That's a question of the size of the opportunity, right? How big a problem will they be able to solve if this technology adopted? How big a competitive advantage will they be able to get if they gonna be the first mover into the market with that technology or the second mover or whatever? Uh, and then the cost, right? Some technologies are um, extremely expensive to uh, create. And that's, you know, that was the issue with um, AR, VR for uh, a few years. And now, of course, with the uh, 5G, it's becoming uh, some of the problems are uh, going to be resolved sooner. And because the cost of the some hardware is coming down as well. Right. So when you have those issues, the cost component is extremely important. And so some companies cannot even consider the option of developing something in house because of the price tag, and they're kind of stuck with the option of either licensing technology or waiting until later and acquiring um, a candidate um, outright. And so the cost can come in three ways. Right. First uh, is uh, the the cost of the technology, whether it's development cost or a licensing cost, then it's integration cost into the current systems, right? So uh, how will this technology going to work with whatever systems already in place? And finally, the maintenance cost. Now that we understand all of these components, I want to talk a little bit about contingency. Contingency is extremely important in all of the financial planning because it accounts for the unknown. Because as much as we like to think that we can project the future, with, even if we have a lot of information with a high degree of accuracy, things come up. Even for companies that are publicly traded, 
they only give guidance on their financial performance for three months. Why? Because even for them, and they have so much more information than any startup, so much more information than any company beginning to adopt new technology, even they face uncertainty, like the coronavirus, right? A lot of businesses couldn't possibly predict starting in January 2020 when they were given guidance for uh, this year that that's going to happen is going to be such a huge disruption to uh, their businesses. Now, for some businesses, this is actually positive for those businesses that exist remotely, for those businesses that promote human interaction, et cetera. And for some businesses such as small, you know, restaurants and travel industry, et cetera, this is really a big uh, hit as this uh, pandemic continues. It's not always possible even for large businesses to make predictions. For smaller businesses, it's even harder. And so contingency gives the, you this breathing room to a plan for that. Now, how big a contingency should be? I recommend that it's 10 to 20% of your budget. If you think that uh, this is too low and you need to have a 50% contingency, right? This means you haven't really thought through your costs. You don't really understand your business. What do you do then, right? What do you do if you are completely unsure? You First, look at comparable projects or budgets or companies. You go to technical people and you ask them to give you their low, medium, and high estimates of what certain things can take. And then if you're feeling very insecure, you only take the high estimates and then you add on the 20% contingency on top of that. But I recommend against um, a contingency higher than, let's say, 30% because that would mean that you don't really understand what your cost structure is. And this is a bad position to be in as a startup or as a bigger organization. I think that's a great topic right now is the contingency plan and to understand your input on the percentage too, because people don't necessarily know how much breathing room do we need. And, and it's such a, an unpredictable market is innovation. And, and even before the pandemic kind of started right now, it's, we were, we were playing a guessing game every day with our industry just to see what was going to come out new and what was going to change that would affect current developments or future ones. I'd like to go back to the uh, conversation of this pandemic that we're going through, the coronavirus. And obviously, there are a lot of unpredictable uh, measures being taken now um, and forecasting with businesses that have never, well, none of us have ever faced anything like this. And as you said, there's certainly some businesses that will thrive over others during this time. And enterprises not exempt from from being hit with the changes and the unpredictable markets right now, even the stock market plunging and that sort of thing. So coming back to our startups, and I know we're going to have a part two series of this, but maybe you can tie this this episode off with if you're a startup today, what would your advice be on taking a look based on our current situation on how to think about the next couple of months. Uh, do you have any advice for our startups out there? Um, well, depending, I think technology startups, because uh, this is a ARVR podcast, I think they're in a much better situation because uh, everybody's able to work remotely. And um, I think this is the, really the time for people to also set aside a little bit of um, 
time to think about the company's long-term strategy, to think about innovation, to think where they can go. Now that they at home, they don't need to, they at least um, saving time in the commute. Uh, and then they're uh, in, a, uh, I guess, safer environment rather than uh, being around, uh, you know, other people and maybe distracted by things that are going on in the office. And so I think that this is a time for reflection. That's number one. This is also a time uh, for some companies to reassess their planning for situations like that, because some companies that have been more prudent in their financial discipline and their financial planning will fare better than those that have not. And specifically, uh, technology companies, uh, the, uh, those companies that have high fixed costs, they are, um, if their revenues go down, are more susceptible to uh, an economic downturn rather than uh, those that have uh, high variable costs. Variable costs are those that change with the level of sales. So I think from the working perspective, I don't think that technology companies are very much affected by the coronavirus. However, if the economy becomes affected, then everybody is um, going to uh, feel an impact and that impact is going to last for um, much more than uh, those two months. And then it would be very wise to spend these two months to plan for uh, what's there to come and to really prepare for a variety of scenarios uh, and be a lot more aggressive potentially with how uh, you convert customers in the sales tactics and the uh, products potentially consider slowing down the product development timeline so that you can serve costs and be able to prolong your uh, runway if you're not generating revenue yet. That's great. And I'd like to thank my guest, Victoria Yampolsky. Please join us for part two on forecasting for innovation and the execution roadmap.